everybody. Oh, got to do that again. Hi, everybody. There you go. Portico, good to see you today. And if you're visiting, we welcome you here. We're so glad. What a great worship service. And I know over in the chapel, your worship service, and those of you that are watching online, you're joined in with us today. And if you're over in the video cafe, just so good to be one church, one message, many expressions. And in this moment, we all come together to open up God's Word and find out what God is teaching us and how to live and to grow together. So that's what I want you to do. I want you to get your Bibles out and ushers, if you can help us in the venues and in the main room. If you need to borrow a Bible, raise your hand real, real high, and we'll get one that you can borrow while you're here. And can I just give a a big commendation to our church family? You are doing great at this. Every week you're bringing your Bibles, you got your iOS devices, you're coming together ready to jump in, and I so appreciate that. But we do have them available if you need to borrow them. You can leave them on the chair. And uh, that's our heart here. We want you to be able to look at God's Word and see where it is we're tracking and what we're doing. Well, we're going to start a brand new series today, and it's called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We're going to be looking at the work, the role, the life of the Holy Spirit, just exactly the person that we were singing about a few moments ago and how that all sort of weaves into our life and the fabric of our life, both our understanding and maybe our, our misunderstanding. But just to get started here this morning, let's, uh, let's have a little bit of fun. Is that all right? Okay, these three are good because they had coffee. They're good to go. They're fired up. All right, let's have a little bit of fun this morning. How many of you, you're okay with this? You're the firstborn member of your family. Show of hands in the room. Whoa. So you guys didn't have a problem raising your hand because you're firstborn, right? You just take initiative and you do whatever. It's, it's mine. How many of you are secondborn? Let's go there. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you're a little more reticent. That's because you had to fight your siblings, you know, in order to get things in your life. But that's good. Third, thirdborn? I put up both because I am. All right, we got third, third, fourth, fifth, sixthborn. If you're sixthborn, tell your parents to stop. That's what you got to tell them, all right? It's interesting, though, our family dynamics, how they all play into this. Because when, uh, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, I want to walk you into something here. If you're a firstborn child, here's what I know to be true, because I, I looked at it, this in our house. I did very, very scientific research. You can trust me. So I was looking at our house, particularly with my family photo albums, and my oldest bo- our oldest born uh, son in our family was my brother Dennis. There are all kinds of pictures of firstborn children. You notice that? You go to people's houses, and there you open up a photo album, and you go, well, there's your oldest born child. That's really, really cool. And they had, like, undivided attention. Firstborns, that's why you raise your hand so fast. Mom and dad were yours for the taking. There was no competition in the house. You were good with that. Secondborn, my brother Dan is the secondborn in our family, and I noticed the number of pictures begin to dwindle. They don't take as many by the time the secondborn come around. Now, you know, psychologists tell us when you look at family dynamics and social structure development that uh, secondborns have a different challenge. Mom and dad are no longer the undivided attention. They have to vie for the sibling. And so you have a little bit of sibling rivalry. It's kind of cool because there are times that siblings will, they will match up, they'll pair up together to take mom and dad on. And then there's other times that they'll fight like cat and dogs because one wants their attention, the other one doesn't want Thirdborns. Have you noticed there's no pictures of us? We're all in therapy. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth born. Doesn't matter. There's like no picture. Why is that? That's because mom and dad realized we give up. We can't handle the number of kids we got now. So forget the camera. Forget the iPhone. Let's just try to manage this thing out until the kids are out of the house. Well, why do we talk about that? Sometimes I think that we have a little bit of that image when it comes to the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit, uh, so my title today is Third But Not Last. That the Holy Spirit is, is part of our understanding of God, but we don't have a really clear picture or image often what that looks like. 
And so it's a little bit like our friendships. When two good friends hang out together, wonderful dynamic. When you add a third friend in the mix, you know that phrase, the third third wheel? Because there are times things can get awkward or one feels like they might be ignored or there's maybe just some misunderstanding. It, it might not even be true, but people feel that way. Well, I feel there are times, this is my assumption here, that there are times that we, we tend to treat the Holy Spirit like this. And here's why. See, I understand God the Father. So I understand sovereign creator that Jesus taught us when we prayed. He said, our, oh, you guys are awesome this morning. I love 1010, you had coffee. Our Father, so we get that and we totally understand Jesus, God the Son. The reason I know that is we all celebrate Christmas and Easter. So we're good with this, right? We, we get, but then we come to God the Holy Spirit. And this is where things just begin to drift a little bit because we go, we know he's there. We know we talk about him, but we don't have as much connection to him. So in our series, we're, we're going to move through this. We're going to have a look at who is the Holy Spirit and how does he work and move in and through our lives. And that, this whole series, I, I really want to encourage you, uh, be here on our Sundays. It's going to build week after week after week and then get into our small groups or get into our, our Wednesday night small group experience at the church here so we can unpack it together and go a little bit deeper. But here's what I hope at the end of our series we're going to have. It's my prayer that we're going to recognize not only who the Holy Spirit is, but be able to identify how he works in our lives to see where his empowerment comes, to learn how to live in the Spirit, and then to wrestle down this question where Paul would say, I want you to be continuously filled with the Spirit. So what does that look like, and how do we walk that out? So let's start off with a question here then. Who is the Holy Spirit? It's a very, very foundational, very good uh, grounding question to ask. So I'm going to take it from my perspective. When I was growing up, if you had asked me this question, particularly as a child, those of you that attend the church, you know that I was raised in the church. I mean, from the moment I have a memory, some of my best sleep was in the backside of the church, right over there. I got my best rest coming to church. My dad was a preacher. My family attended church. It was a non-negotiable. We were all there. So I grew up with this awareness of God the Father. So I understood, you know, the whole creation and that picture story. I understood Jesus, you know, God the Son. But when I was growing up, it wasn't called the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy... Oh, you guys had the same thing. Now, think about that. When you hear ghost, what comes to your mind? Now, stop. Stop. Seriously. So when you're a kid, you're in the back pew, and my dad's preaching, and the Holy Ghost, you go, whoa, ghosts, because ghosts only come out at Halloween and haunted houses and Scrooge, you know, the Christmas story, and all those kind of weird little experiences in life, and they start talking about the Holy Ghost. And in, in my mind, I'm going... Well, now we're getting into a really, really weird area here. I don't know if I can handle this. And a lot of people, for a lot of people, really, really honest here, a lot of people, they struggle. Because they go, ghost, spirit, God, how does this all fit together? And so we use a term, and that term sometimes just sort of references a point of our understanding and takes us to the wrong way. What I didn't know and what I didn't understand, and I came to understand is that the Holy Spirit is a loving person, the fullness of God, that he wants to have a relationship with me. He wants to make me more like Christ, and he wants to be there for me. And so we're going to look at how Scripture talks about that. And so I grew into a better understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Now, I think when we try to to define the Holy Spirit, 
let's be honest, we fall short. We do. Somebody goes to you and they says, well, who's the Holy Spirit? Well, and then we'll start putting things together that either we've heard or little sound bites or little memory verses that we've had in the past, and we try to define the Holy Spirit. But honestly, our human language is so what I would call fallible in its description of God. How do you describe God? How can you even begin to explain who the Holy Spirit is? So can I ask all of us? So if you're online, you're in the chapel, the other venues, you're right in the main room. Here's what I want you to do. So I've written it in my notes so I don't forget to ask you. Here it is. I want you to set aside your preconceived notions and ideas of who the Holy Spirit is. I want you to set aside your prejudices and your fears. And I want all of us to set aside our religious assertions and our customs. So all the things that have been given to us by other people interpreted and shared. And then I want us to come back and ask a simple question. Who is the Holy Spirit? And the only person who is really qualified to define the Holy Spirit is God himself. It was God who spoke to Moses, and God said, Moses, when the Israelites ask you, tell them, I am who I am. Don't interpret, don't define, learn to understand that I am who I am. So now you're thinking, well, Doug, just a minute. Like, is God going to speak in the room? Well, he could. But God has spoken. God has given us his word, and in his word, God has actually described for us who the Holy Spirit is. See, but when we read the word, what we often do is we put our filters back on of who told us what we think we should know about the Holy Spirit, rather than actually just looking at God's word and saying, oh, this is who the Holy Spirit is. Does that make sense? All right, so get your notes out, or you can do it electronically in version if you want to go that way. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at this. Who is the Holy Spirit? And the best place to start is over in John chapter 16. We're going to read at verse 5, and this is where Jesus will give some incredible clarity and insight into the person of the Holy Spirit, whom we often refer to as the third person of the Trinity, third, but definitely not last. And the context, Jesus is about to leave. He's been resurrected, he's about to leave, and he wants to make sure that um, the understanding of the disciples, the followers, is who is this Holy Spirit? So here's what we're going to read, John 16, verse 5. But very truly I tell you, it is good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. There's a very, very powerful statement right there in this verse. And it's where Jesus says, I have so much more to say to you, more than you can handle. And I think that's often the way it is with God. That if God were to just sort of download everything we could possibly comprehend, he'd just blow our minds. So Jesus lays out here this wonderful picture of the person of the Holy Spirit, and he goes, this is what I want you to know. So in your notes, a couple of things I want you to take away today. 
First thing is the Holy Spirit is a distinct person. The Holy Spirit is a distinct person. See, many people imagine or they picture the Holy Spirit to be an abstract, unseen force. There's almost this mysterious, invisible power. Wow. Okay, in case you haven't watched the movie yet, he blows up the Death Star. And spoiler alert, the new movie's coming out. Anyhow, here's the deal. It's that image that you just had right there where, where Luke is there flying the plane. All of a sudden, Luke, use the force. And that's how people describe the Holy Spirit. They have this unseen, mysterious, mystical power. And so when they talk about the Holy Spirit, or they use a phrase like the Holy Ghost, everybody begins to conjure up or imagine, ooh, that's kind of this ethereal, I, I can't really touch it. I, I, it's sort of like electricity. There's power, but we don't know and we can't see it. It's not tangible. And yet that's not how the Bible presents the Holy Spirit. Now, here's a critical perspective. Don't miss this. A lot of people, and I've heard it over and over and over, a lot of people, when they talk about the Holy Spirit, they actually refer to the Holy Spirit in an impersonal way. They'll say, it was here. It can do. It is and they'll use that in reference to the Holy Spirit. And, and even some really good songs and courses that we sing, not meant to misdirect, but sometimes the writers would use the word it. And so what does that do? That actually throws us away from a true biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, but the Holy Spirit is deeply personal, very dynamic, very, very actively involved in our lives. He is vibrant, powerful, involved, and he wants to be involved in every one of our personal individual lives. Well, how can we know for certain, if you're taking notes, how can we know for certain that the Holy Spirit is a distinct person? Now, I was, I was at home one time, and I was working on my computer, and I was doing a little bit of research, and it was one of those sites that you had to sign up, and you would send your information in, and then they would send the information back to you. And all of you have done something similar to this at some point, I'm sure. And as I was doing my information, all of a sudden there was this computer query that came up on the screen, and it asked a question, are you a real person? And I thought, I think I am. I wasn't sure in a moment. It made, made me stop for a question, but you know what they were doing? It was this query was to find out, is there a real person requesting this information, or is this a sophisticated computer software program that is fishing for personal information to pull it off of the web? So in order to respond, the requirement was that I would fill out an alphanumeric sequence. How many of you have done this? You know, yeah, okay, we're good. So I had to put in an alphanumeric sequence, and by doing that, it authenticated that I, in fact, was a real person. So I did that, and I got what I needed. Wouldn't it be cool if we could get the Holy Spirit to do an alpha numeric sequence for us right now? In fact, I think that would solve everybody's questions, whether or not the Holy Spirit is a distinct person. So I want you to watch the back screen, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to just give us an alpha numeric sequence, okay? Everybody ready? No, he's not going to do that. Come on, you know better than that. I had you all set up. Now, he can do it. Don't misunderstand me. And I, and I don't mean to play light here, but don't misunderstand me. We sometimes want to ask the Holy Spirit to prove something because of our lack of understanding, our true sense of ignorance, rather than trust and faith. 
Now, if you actually want the Holy Spirit to give you an alphanumeric sequence, let me remind you that a man by the name of Belshazzar, who lived at the time of Daniel, he had the Holy Spirit show up and write some words on the wall, and you don't want that, okay? I'm just saying, you can go back and read Daniel. You don't want the Holy Spirit writing on the wall in your life. But there are ways for us to know. So we can't have the alphanumeric sequence, but here's what I can see when we look at the Holy Spirit. Jesus introduced, and if you look in your notes, he introduced the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, and here's what I want you to observe. In that passage of Scripture, 12 times Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit with a personal pronoun. Look at verse 8. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin. Look at verse 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you. Do you see the pattern? Jesus was unmistakable leaving his followers with this information. He goes, listen, you guys. The Holy Spirit is a distinct person. Now, there's so much more we're going to learn about this. But their reference point of understanding was a backwards reference to the work and the power of the Spirit when the Spirit would come upon people, but they never really saw the manifestation or the outworking of the Spirit. So they had this understanding that the Holy Spirit was there, but it had always been more of a power base. And Jesus takes it, and all of a sudden he goes, 12 times he goes, he, 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 he. What was he doing? He was drilling down. He said, I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is a real person. Jesus talked about him over in John chapter 14. He said he called him a comforter or an advocate. Now, how do we know that somebody is a real person? Now, here's a little bit of a test. If you're not sure about yourself this morning, I'll get a little test. Are you, in fact, a real person? We know that from the study of social science and psychology that there are four elements of personhood that we test for. So in your notes, I've given them to you. You can fill in these blanks. Here's what you look for. You look for intellect. You look for will. You look for feeling, and you look for action. Those are what they're called the key elements of personality. So move those back over now to the person of the Holy Spirit. And isn't it interesting what God reveals about the Holy Spirit to us? Intellect, Romans 8.27. He who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit. Intellect. What about will? 1 Corinthians 12, 11. It's in your notes, and we've listed them so you can take time and study later on. But all of these things are at the work of the Spirit. He distributes them. Expression of will. What about feeling? In Ephesians 4, 30, it says, And do not, what's the word? Grieve. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So Jesus shows us, the Bible reveals to us, God confirms that the Holy Spirit is in fact a person. And look at the action. Action is an expression of personhood. Galatians 5.18, it says, If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. So all of a sudden you see this wonderful portrayal of the Holy Spirit. He's not a mystical, impersonal force. He is a dynamic, loving, present expression of the fullness of the person of God. And he wants to have a relationship with us. So I I, I think we can all get our minds around this, that he's a distinct person. But let's go just a little bit deeper now. So go into your notes. Not only is he a distinct person, but here's what we discovered, that the Holy Spirit is a divine, a divine person. Just so that we don't separate out his function from the fullness of his expression as God. The Holy Spirit is fully God in complete harmonious relationship with God the Father and God the Son. So look at Matthew 28, verse 19. Again, this is a little moment where Jesus is commissioning and sending his followers. He goes, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. 
But watch the formula here. In 19, he says, Therefore go, and I want you to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Okay, let's stop. Because if we read this fast, we miss this. In this verse of Scripture, you have this wonderful image of the fullness of God. Now, Jesus was careful when he gave the formula. You notice he did not say baptizing them in the names, plural, in the names of Father, Son, and Holy. If he would have done that, that would have reduced this to three gods. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. One true living God, fully expressed through three persons, baptizing in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. So not only does Jesus authenticate the divinity of the Holy Spirit, I don't know about you, but he blew my mind. to comprehend God in this way. But his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are greater than my thoughts. And my job is not to comprehend the fullness of God. It is to embrace by faith and walk in the fullness of the Spirit. So Jesus reveals the wonderful work of the Spirit and the connection here. Go down to the baptism when Jesus was baptized in water by his cousin John in the Jordan River. Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17. I've got it in your notes. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And then a voice from heaven said this, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. So you got a picture of Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, being baptized in obedience to his heavenly Father. His Father says, This is my Son, I love him. And then you see a wonderful picture of the Holy Spirit coming down and resting on Jesus. This would be the empowerment commissioning for ministry that Jesus would do. So again, Scripture presents to us this wonderful portrayal of the Holy Spirit, not only as a distinct person, but as divinity, divine. So now we understand that when Jesus starts talking about the power, the presence, the passion of the Holy Spirit, that this is God himself. When we sing and we worship and we raise our hands, this is basking in the presence of God himself in this room. When we say, Holy Spirit, come, we are asking the Holy Spirit to invade our space, for he is here. Now, again, uh, to be fair, how can we know for certain that the Holy Spirit is divine? I've got two verses of Scripture. I put them on the screen, and some of you are going, you're sort of wrestling it through. Is there any evidence that substantiates or corroborates the fact that the Holy Spirit is divine? Now, something you should know about me, I love, well, I love the shows. I love the TV shows that they use forensic science, you know, like CSI and Bones. How many of you guys like those kind of shows? I, I love those kind of mysteries. And then you've got to figure out who did it, how they did it, and then they have to figure out, you know, who was the person based on DNA evidence, and so they have to get a blood sample or a saliva sample. And so that whole thing, and I'll watch those things and just absolutely enamored by that. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool? if we could get like DNA evidence of the Holy Spirit. So we could test the markers. You know how they do this, right? They get the DNA and they read the markers and then they take the sample from the suspect or the other individuals. They compare the two together and when they get the match, they go, we gotcha. Wouldn't it be cool if we could get DNA evidence for the Holy Spirit? I guess it's only me. I thought it would be really kind of cool if we could do that. So I thought, well, we can't get a a drop of blood. I know that's not going to happen, but what could we do to get DNA markers of the Holy Spirit. So I'm, gonna, I'm reducing theology right down to a level where we can understand today. 
So there are two sets of DNA markers that I want to talk about. In your notes, you can fill these ones out. Here's the first set of DNA markers. They're what I call attributes of divinity. So the qualities or the characteristics, the traits or the elements that are unmistakably divine in nature, do we see them in Scripture attributed to the Holy Spirit? And if we do, we have DNA markers of the Holy Spirit. So here's some of the ones that we see. First blank, I want you to fill in is the word all-powerful. It's all-powerful. Romans 8, 11, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. So the Bible says the Holy Spirit is all-powerful, and He's at work in your life. Look at the second attribute. He's all-knowing. John 14, 26, Jesus said, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything everything. He has the full expanse of knowledge to give to us. That's the attributes of divinity. Another DNA marker, he is ever-present. Psalm 139, 7 to 10. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, you're with me. Your right hand will hold me. So cool. He talks about the Spirit being ever-present. And another one, eternal. Eternal. It's an attribute of divinity. Hebrews 9, 14, it says this. For by the power of, what's the word? Eternal Spirit. Christ offered himself to God. So if we're in the lab, and we're all forensic scientists right now, we've already got the distinct person part, but the first set of DNA markers that we're looking for, does the Holy Spirit have the attributes of divinity? Friends, when you look at the Scripture... It is unmistakably clear. The Holy Spirit is God. And you see the attributes. But there's another set of markers. Because we look at those ones and go, well, all right, they're there. But there's a second set of DNA markers that I would suggest are worth consideration today. So if you have the attributes, let's talk for a moment about the activities of divinity. If the Bible says he is God, then does he do the work of God? So that's the second set of DNA markers, and I want you to see the activities here. Again, we're just quickly filling the blanks. Creating. Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the earth. And the Lord said, and it was done. And the Lord spoke, and it was done. The Holy Spirit creating. The Holy Spirit inspiring. Again, activity of divinity. 2 Timothy 3-16, all Scripture is inspired by God. Over and over and over, you'll find in the Scripture the affirmation of the inspiration of the Spirit over the Scriptures. What about the work of empowering? Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So God, in His fullness, this is amazing, will come on us and empower us. That's what He does. Then there's another one. The Word is regenerating. Now, I, I sort of, you know, I dabble around in gardening and flowers and plants. And if you ask Laura, I bought four flowers that I was going to, you know, four little baskets I was going to plant this year. I, I discovered something. If you don't actually put them in the ground, you kill them. So they're still there on my property. I've done a good job at exterminating. I'm not so good at regenerating. But I love the Holy Spirit because the Bible says he is the perfect regenerator. And over in John, your reference point, there's John 3, 5 to 7. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is very curious about this whole kingdom of God. And he goes, Jesus, help me to understand. And Jesus said, well, a man must be born again. And Nicodemus says, well, how do I go back into my mom? Like, 
how, how do I be born twice? And he says, no, 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 no. You got to be born of water and then what? Born of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But he said, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God who comes in, regenerates, gives us a new spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is time to get really hairy and excited this morning. He gives you a brand new spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible even tells us that he will give us the assurance that we are his children. That's the presence of God's spirit. Regenerate. There's another word here, another word that I want you to see, another activity work. It's the word sanctifying. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says, God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the spirit. I am perfected in Christ, but I sometimes make mistakes. Anybody else like that? I am perfected in Christ. I thank Jesus for doing that. But I sometimes make mistakes. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He comes along and he reminds me of when I make those mistakes. And he goes, hey, shape up. You can do better than this. So he grows me into more and more and more like Jesus. I am so grateful that God the Holy Spirit is a distinct person and he's divine. Because he has the power to bring about the transformation that is necessary in my life. I don't have to produce this. It's through the work of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit brings this work out of my life. So we read all of this and you go, wow, if we're in the lab together, we go, now we got Jesus as a distinct person, we got him as a divine person, we have all the DNA evidence in front of us, and the question you should be asking right now is, so what? So what? Because a lot of people do that. We talk about the Holy Spirit and they go, so what? What does that mean to me? And a lot of people underplay or set aside and ignore the most privileged relationship that God provides us with. And it's a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And when I watch how people relate to God, we get all the cognitive information and we tuck it all away. And some of you could have stood up here and given a very, very similar presentation because we have all the right information. But Jesus never gave information so that we would be educated. He gave us truth so that we would be transformed. And the Holy Spirit is not simply a system of information. He is a distinct person, divine fullness of God. And Jesus said, I am going to send you. Let me read it again, John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever. See, Jesus didn't want us to know about God. He wanted us to know God. He wanted to make sure that no matter where we are in our journey of faith, that we weren't trying to build our own pathway towards God, but rather God has already done that through Jesus and the forgiveness of sins through the cross and the resurrection. All been provided for, all taken care of. When you say yes to Jesus, it's all done. And he says, but I don't want you to go through life now wondering what's next. And he goes, so I'm going to ask the Father, and the Father's going to send his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. And I love the word advocate because it means comforter. That means that when you're going through an extremely celebratory time in your life, the Holy Spirit is going, that's awesome. I'm so proud of you, and I'm so pleased with what's going. I see the growth and the life and the character of Christ in you. And then when you go through difficulty, he grieves with us. When we lose a loved one and we face sickness and we face death or we face a loss of our job or our finances are a mess and we're crying out, God, where are you? And he goes, I'm right there. I'm right there. Now, 
I asked you at the beginning for the next couple of weeks, set aside your prejudices and all your ideas. Set aside your fears, misconceptions, and set aside your religious assertions and customs. Let's blank playing field, just, just the Bible. And here's what we have. Jesus going, I'm going to the Father, and I'm doing this. It's not about you. I'm doing this. And the Holy Spirit is coming, and he came. And he goes, and now he's going to be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And some of you need to hear that this morning because your faith isn't about what you do. It's about who he is and what he has done. That's what it's about. And so it's not whether or not you sit in a seat and fill the room and it's not whether or not you do the right activities and you fill out the right list. It's about a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit and walking in the forgiveness and the provision of Christ. So today, when you ask yourself that question, so what? I think some would say, I'm just unaware, and I didn't know the Holy Spirit wanted to do that in my life and to be a part of this. So your world is, you're just sort of growing into this, and over the next number of weeks, I really pray that your awareness will grow, but your relationship will just escalate. There are others, and I've watched this. It's not that you're intentionally trying to reject the Holy Spirit. You're just a little freaked out because you've seen the weird stuff, the weird, the wacky, and the not-so-wonderful. You've heard people use expressions and do things in the name of the Holy Spirit, and you go, whoa, if that's God and that's the Holy Spirit, then I want nothing to do with that. And so we hang labels over churches, and we put titles and stuff. That was never God's plan. There's only one church. There's only one Spirit. There's only one Lord, one Savior. So we define ourselves and we align ourselves to a a plaque outside of a building. That's not what God calls for. He goes, no, 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 no. So you had a little bit of a force field out here. And you're good with God as long as he gives you your space inside the shield and he can just kind of move around the peripheral. See, that's not how God works. Now, he's a gentleman. He'll never force his way in. But he goes, I'll tell you what, if you're courageous enough to open up your heart and spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I don't know what to expect. I'm going to find it in your word, but I'm making room for you. I'm just making room for you. Some of you are going to experience a peace that you've never, ever known before. Some of you are going to feel joy that you've never known before. Some of you are just going to just bask in the glory of God's presence, and you're just going to wonder where this came from. That's the Spirit. So here's what I'm going to ask for all of us. Let's just open up a bit. So wherever you are in the scale, let's open up a bit. Now, some of you, you're all hands in, man. You're there. You come into worship. You're like, whoop, from the time we start. Barely get them down by the time I get up to preach. And that's good. I love that. Because you're not trying to draw attention to yourself, and you're not running around the room distracting people, because that's not of the Spirit. But you are just in the presence of the Spirit, letting Him minister to you, and you minister to Him. And some of you, your hands are still glued down here. you got Velcro. And we're working on getting the Velcro taken off a little bit. And maybe being open for you is going up this high. You might get there. Maybe not. Might have to start right down here somewhere. We'll get you. It's not about physical demonstration. You know that, right? It's right here. This is what has to open. So don't look around the room today. 
And don't judge by someone's external manifestation, because I can tell you right now, I've seen the external manifestation, and some of them are very, very weird. And I've seen some of the silent ones, and they are deeply godly and connected to the Spirit. So I'm not asking anything for external here. I am asking you to be open. So would you stand? And as we worship together, here's all we're going to do. Our worship team is coming. They're going to lead us in a course. And all this course is asking us to do is a verbal expression. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here in this place. In this place. And for a few moments together, let's take God out of the scripture. And let's bring God right into our heart and spirit.